You know, you confused them with this new slide. They knew it was purple. And now it's not purple anymore. So Jesse looks at me, is this the one? Yeah, this is the one. Change is confusing. And children's church. How are we doing this morning? Are we good? As me and Chantel were talking about this last night, it got kind of heavy. Do you know why? Because to be a healthy church, to be a church that we see in Scripture, it's going to take all of us. You know who can't fix the whole church? This guy. Do you know who wants to? This guy. It's like your family and your kids. You have this dream of how you want to see them be raised, right? Who you want to see them become. And if you could just go to Cooper or Jesse and Austin, and if I could just make them behave, all the speed bumps begin to come out of our lives. But I can't. Like, I teach them with the words that I say. I I display it through the actions, the way I live. But then it's up to them. And sometimes in church, I know I feel it. I think Dawn, too. Like, you read this and you prep this and you pray over this. And you just ask God, God, how? How do I help move hundreds of people to live this life of obedience? How do I raise my children to become children of obedience? Because my words aren't, they're not working the way I want them to work. And I'm setting this example, but they don't always follow it. And then you have this reminder sometimes from God, I do the work. You teach them with your words. You display that obedience with your action. And then I bring the change in the person's heart. Be faithful to what I've called you to be. and Allow me to be God and do the rest. That's the tension. You ready to talk about a healthy church this morning? Yeah. Do you realize it's the fourth Sunday of January? You know what that means. It's our annual get-together and celebrate how we've all failed our New Year's resolution time. (laughs) Right? Throw up the New Year's resolution slide. I love this. So what were the goals this year? Let's be honest. What was it? Were we going to get healthier? Mm, Maybe. What else were we going to do? Read a little bit more? Educate ourselves? Get outside a little bit more? ambitious things. Why? Why then, by the fourth Sunday of January, do we get together and celebrate the fact that we didn't do it? Do you know why? You didn't have a plan. You had a goal. You didn't have a plan. Because if you would have, well, maybe you would have carried it out. But you also need motivation. Because you can know the five steps, but if you don't have the motivation, don't work, does it? Seriously, take getting healthier, for example. Say, that's the goal this year. Let's do this. So you know you have to do multiple things. You have to eat a little bit less. You have to exercise a little bit more. you got to hydrate yourself. Water's important. you got to sleep a little bit more. Maybe you need some sunshine and some fresh air. Five steps, for example. And you decide you're going to get healthier. Without this plan, it's just talk. It's going to amount to nothing. But if you have a plan, you have a chance. Now it takes motivation. Are you going to get up? Are you going to exercise? Are you going to say no to seconds when grandma makes your favorite food at Christmas? Are you going to do it? Of course you're not going to. You should, though. 
Are you going to drink more water? You hate the flavor of water. What are you going to do? You have to find a way through. All of a sudden, you miss one or two points in this plan, and what begins to happen? You see no results, so you lose your motivation. And all of a sudden, by the fourth Sunday, you're sitting here in the sanctuary, and it's done. Kaputs. Or maybe you're a realist. And do you know what a good realist does? Doesn't make goofy resolutions. Why would I do that? I'm smart enough to know it's not going to work, so I don't even do it anymore. It's Darren joking about change. I'm just fine the way I am. <laughs> it's okay if you're that person. But my job this morning is to talk about transformation. And do you know what my deepest fear is? That this is what it is. That it's a New Year's resolution for us. That's my deepest fear. We can have all the church meetings we want. We can prepare excellent PowerPoint slides. We can talk about how different it's going to make our church family and how effective we'll be at reaching the community. And everyone goes, yes, what a goal. I love that goal. Of course I want to get healthy. I love that goal. Let's see spiritual growth and transformation in our church. But do we have a plan? Because if you don't have a plan, it's just talk. So you make a plan. And Darren and Dawn's jobs are to explain the plan and get it out to the people. So we start to list off the steps to become healthier. And you learn all the steps. Perfect. And then motivation goes down. You want to get healthier, but you don't like exercising. You want to get healthier, but you hate drinking water. We want transformation. We want to see Jesus developed through his Holy Spirit, spiritual growth inside of us that leads us to be effective disciples that reach the world for him. And everyone says, amen. And then we say, okay, well, step one, let's create some community. And people go, oh, okay. Do I have to like visit with people I don't know very well? Yeah, probably. Uh. Okay, step two, experience Jesus' love. So you have to have an encounter with him that changes your heart, and then you start to love other people that same way to display that love. And you go, oh, I like that one. Jesus' love is sacrificial. I love that. Okay, well, show that sacrificial love to someone else. Show them graciousness, right? Put other people ahead of yourself. Uh, no, I'd rather not. See, we get to these four discipleship steps. Let's throw them up on the screen. I'm teaching number three. You've probably seen this before, right? Dawn has had this up for a few weeks. These are the steps to health. And today I'm talking about obedience. How do you train one another? You ever been a part of training before? That's today's discussion. And next week we're going to learn to serve and proclaim Jesus and what he's done for us to each other and to the world. But do you notice how as these fall apart, our goal falls apart? Why? Because creating genuine community becomes the support system that you rely on. They're the people that are there for you in the good times and in the bad times. You want to see spiritual growth in your life? You were never meant to do it alone. We can read through the New Testament. We can look at how Paul plants these churches and spiritual gifts break out in the churches 
They're sharpening each other in the churches. You weren't meant to do this at home alone. And experiencing and modeling Jesus' love, that's the motivation. That's it. See, without experiencing that life-changing love, why would you want to commit to this process? And I think that if you can show that kind of love to each other, that motivates one another to pursue this process. That's what keeps me going when this gets discouraging. Training one another to obedience. How do you train people to be obedient? Let's talk about our kids for a minute. How does that sound? Any of you raised a child before? A couple of you? Okay, three hands went up. Very few of us have had babies. All right. <laughs> That's okay. We'll get used to this. Hands can go up. It's okay. When you sing, they can, they can happen. <laughs> Raise some kids. What do we do to teach our kids to be obedient? What does that look like in your house? Well, I would say it boils down to a few things. To train your kids in obedience, you're going to train them through your word, and you're going to train them through your deed. You're going to see it through what you say and how you live. Take, uh, take Cooper, for example. I asked Cooper the other day. I said, Cooper, who is the greatest hockey team in the NHL? And Cooper rightly responded with Toronto Maple Leafs. I said, well done. Now I asked him, I said, and Cooper, who is the greatest hockey player in the NHL? And Cooper thought for a second. He hesitated, so we'll work on that. He hesitated, and he said, Austin Matthews. I'm so proud of him. I'm so proud of him. Do you know why? Not only is he right, but it shows that I've been training him well. Connor who? Not in our house. Not a chance. Uh Uh-uh. But it's funny because Cooper doesn't just think that because I've told him that. Why does he think that? Because he's seen it. He's heard it and he's seen it. If all I did was talk about it, he might believe it. He might not. If his friends say that it's the Oilers and that it's Connor McDavid and dad says it's Toronto and it's Austin, how would he really know which one is better? But he sees it. He knows I have a Toronto jersey, not an Oilers one. He knows we turn on the game on TV sometimes. He knows that when they score, we scream. He's seen it. He's watched it. He's experienced it. So the truth has been imprinted on him. It's really neat to see. And now it gets to the point where he asks for the game to go on instead of me. And you're in the bathroom, and all of a sudden you hear him scream from the living room, Mitchie Marner! And you're just like, oh, they scored. Well done, Cooper. He's announcing it to everybody. It's so cool. Jesus teaches this way. Did you notice that as you read through Scripture? Jesus gave us this blueprint. Word and deed. This week, I was reading through the Sermon on the Mountain. And as you go through the Sermon on the Mountain, you see all these different areas where Jesus provides incredible teaching to his disciples. 
But one thing that really stands out to me about Jesus setting this example and teaching them and training them towards obedience is that he doesn't talk to them for 30 to 35 minutes and then at the end of it say, all right, disciples, have a great week. I'm going to go. I'm going to pray. I'm going to think about next week's talk and good luck to all of you. And Jesus would just walk away. It doesn't happen like that. He instructs them through the word and at the end of it says, all right, so are you going to come with me this week? We're going to live this out, right? You're going to come with me. We're going to experience this. Word and deed. So if I am going to help work with you and we're going to train one another to obedience, let's talk about what that looks like. If you have your Bible, which hopefully you brought one, phone or the one you hold in your hand like this one, Matthew 5 and 6. We're not going to read all of it. We're going to touch on some of the different things he's talking about. What you might notice in chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 17, is that Jesus says that he didn't come to abolish the Old Testament law. He came to do what? End of verse 17. What does it say? I came to fulfill the law. So Jesus is going to demonstrate through his life what the entire Old Testament law was supposed to move his people to do. So let's see what Jesus says. If he's not removing the laws of Moses, if he's not removing what God has taught for 2,000 years, what has God taught? Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You've heard it say, those of old, you should not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that anyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And everyone goes, what? That makes no sense. If I hate someone, I'm going to get treated as a murderer? See, what you and I know, now that we've read this before, and that they were missing is that the Old Testament laws of God were supposed to create inside of people a change of heart. Because what God desires for us above everything else is for us to love the Lord with all of our heart, with everything that we are, soul, mind, strength, everything that we are, and to love our neighbors the way that we love ourselves. Adam Eve, they were supposed to live this way. Abraham, Sarah, supposed to live this way. Isaac, Rebecca, they were supposed to live this way. Jacob, Leah, Rachel, Zilpha, Bilha, he had a ton of wives. They were supposed to live this way too. Joseph, trapped in jail in Egypt, he was supposed to live this way. Pursue and love Yahweh, the Elohim of heaven. And then love those around me to pass on to them the blessing that the chosen people of God carry to the world. They were supposed to be people that loved their neighbor, but they hated their neighbor. And Jesus says, that, my friends, is murder. That's not what we're called to be. He goes on to talk about lust. If you are trying to grasp Someone in something that doesn't belong to you, that belongs to someone else. You are not loving God and you are not loving your neighbor. 
It doesn't matter if you've ever touched her before or touched him before. That's not what God wants. To love your neighbor means to not desire the one thing that's been bound to him for eternity that you are not allowed to have. Divorce. God has bound two people together. Honor the commitment. Honor what's been pulled together that's never supposed to be pulled apart. But even Jesus says, except on the ground of sexual immorality. He says, if your spouse has pulled the two of you apart and broken your covenant, your covenant is broken. But if it's not, it's supposed to model God's love for us. Which from the very beginning, when God spoke and made mankind, he bound us together in relationship. And that was never supposed to end. Adam and Eve are one Eve was brought out of Adam, a rib out of him, but he is one with his wife. They are flesh of the same flesh. Not supposed to be separated. Loving your enemies. You see that in verse 43. You can read that little paragraph there. To love your neighbor means praying for and loving and wanting a blessing upon people who have been hard and cruel to you. Or before that, an eye for an eye? Gee, Jesus is smart enough to know that. Take a look. This whole chunk of the Bible, the Old Testament, was supposed to be this transforming time of people encountering God's law and then living obediently to him. But they struggled with it. Their hearts weren't changed. They had hearts of stone. You can read Jeremiah for that. You can read Ezekiel for that. It was going to take a movement of God in heaven to take out this heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Why? Because the inner workings of the human heart don't desire to love God and love other people. Why? Because that requires us to be second. To love God ahead of ourselves means we come off the throne of our own worship and to love your neighbor as much as you takes you off the throne of your own worship. And from the moment the deceiver spoke to Eve and said, surely, surely God wouldn't kill you for being disobedient to him. Since that moment, we have been chasing ourselves, what we want and desire, something we were not supposed to grasp. And obedience to God has not been the first and foremost desire of our hearts. Jesus needs his people, his chosen ones, to know that a heart transformation is going to have to take place. Something greater than we've seen in thousands of years. Let's talk about the deed. Jesus doesn't just preach the Sermon on the Mountain, but then he begins to live out the Sermon on the Mountain. That's on the next slide. Think about all the different ways that Jesus lives out this sermon with his disciples. You can go through the Gospels. This moment when he looks at Zacchaeus, someone who's rejected, And he pursues him. 
You can look at the woman at the well, the outcast. Instead of walking around Samaria, he calls his disciples to walk through it and then find someone rejected by husbands, rejected by her town, and Jesus walks up to her and says, I can offer you life. Think about his healing ministries. Think about his prayer in the garden of Gethsemane when he's submitting himself to the Father. Think about that. He said in the Sermon on the Mountain, I have it right here, he talked about the way you should pray. It's between you and the Father. It's not something you need to put on display for the whole world to hear to impress them. Because that's desiring worship for yourself, and prayer is the worship of God. Jesus is modeling that. You're not supposed to seek first your kingdom and righteousness. You're supposed to seek first his kingdom and righteousness, not all of the things of this world the Sermon on the Mountain. You are supposed to lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Not worried about this moment, this speck of time that you have on the earth. Because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And as Jesus is praying in the garden, he's declaring, my heart is in heaven. I will sacrifice my life for my treasure is there. It's not here. He's modeling it. He asks for forgiveness for those who are murdering him on the cross. He told them in the Lord's Prayer that if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But when the going gets tough, Jesus chose not to. Like, no, that's not how the story goes. He said, we're going to forgive our enemies. And then as he's hanging on the cross, he says, God, I forgive my enemies. And some of the disciples who are there see this. So you ask, Darren, how do we train one another to obedience? Well, we use the word of our mouth, and then we use the example of our lives. That's how we train one another to live obediently. Do you even notice how in the Sermon on the Mountain, these teachings are kind of divided, the ones that are interacting with our neighbor and the ones that are interacting with our Father? Jesus talks about how you're supposed to give to the needy. You're not supposed to make a big show out of it because giving to the needy is the worship of God. And when you make a big show out of it, it becomes the worship of you and me. When you pray, it should be done quietly, Why? Because they were abusing it and they were drawing attention to themselves. Prayer was supposed to be the worship of God and it turned into the worship of me. How you fasted. They would look like they hadn't eaten in days to draw attention to themselves. But fasting was supposed to be the worship of God and it became the worship of me. That's not how we worship our Father in heaven and love our neighbor as ourself. It needs to change. So throughout this explanation on the discipleship steps, often we've put up this last slide. The greatest commandment and the great commission. 
We believe that Jesus taught us. Matthew 22, the greatest, they ask him, the greatest law that the Father ever gave us. They think they can trick him. Let's just read it. I don't even need to paraphrase it. It's right here in Scripture. This is Matthew 22, 34. You got your Bible open. Read it with me. This is my ESV, if you're wondering if you have the NIV or an NLT or one that's different. Matthew twenty-two thirty-four. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That's powerful. Does does that grip your heart? The change that God had wanted from his people for thousands of years was this. When Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden so that they couldn't go back to the tree of life, God provides them an anointed son and they name him Seth. For Cain kills Abel. But God still picked a chosen one. That one day, his descendant would be the one with the heel who would crush the snake. One day, one from the line of Adam would step on Satan and defeat death and sin forever. But until that day, the people needed to pursue God and one another. And then Jesus shows up. Thousands of years they've waited. He is the one. He is the great grandson of Abraham, the promised one. He is the great grandson of Isaac and Jacob, the one who wrestled with God. He is the descendant of Judah, the one who sacrificially laid down his life in front of Joseph to save Benjamin in Egypt. The great-grandson of Rahab, the prostitute of Bathsheba, of the king, David himself, the one who came to defeat Satan and free us from our chains for all time. And Jesus says, this is what the law and the prophets of Yahweh, it's what they depend on, it's what they hang on. They depend on it all. Loving God and loving each other. At the very end of Jesus' ministry, we've talked about this verse too. Jesus, with his disciples, gives them their task and their commission. And he says to them, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And I'm telling you to go. You're going to make disciples of every nation on earth. You're going to baptize them into the family. 
and you are going to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded, and I will always be with you. Always. Go. So out go these disciples. They're going to plant churches. The gospel of Jesus is going to cross continents. Why? Because they were told to share the good news of Jesus that he sets people free from their sin and from death by his sacrificial death on the cross. And other people would become followers of Jesus. But they need to commit to this. They need to publicly display that I've chosen Jesus over myself as the king of my life. And they would commit to this process by this baptism symbolized in the Old Testament. They would pass through the waters from death to life. And then the disciples would train them. They would train them. It says in the book of Acts in chapter 4 that they went over the teachings They prayed together, they broke bread together, they worshiped, they gave their money to take care of one another, and every single day, people were joined to their family. Every day. So we say that we want to commit ourselves to seeing spiritual growth in our church family. We want to see some lives transformed. We want to see Jesus do an amazing work in our hearts. Transformation. That's something I can get behind. But we're going to have to commit to the plan, aren't we? And if we're going to do this, we're going to have to do it right. Not just say that we're going to do it, but do it right. We're going to have to create some community. That means building a support system with each other so that when life falls apart, people in this church know that I can go to my church family for help. They will always be there for me. Always. That's my community. And spiritual growth is taking place. They need to experience Jesus' love when they come to that community. It's not judgmental. It's not cruel and harsh, it's gracious and it's caring. We're going to hold them accountable to sin, but we're going to be incredibly gracious in the process. We're going to love them sacrificially, even putting them ahead of ourselves. That's the kind of love Jesus has shown to me, and that's the kind of love I need to demonstrate to you. So now we have this community where you can lean on me for anything you need. And if you show up and you need help, I'm going to love you sacrificially the way that I've been loved. But I also need to help you walk towards obedience. Because if we live in our sin, or if we remain in this shallow faith, what honor comes to our Father in heaven? What worship does he receive? If we gather as best friends and love each other, but continue to live in sin, No longer, Paul says, shall we live in sin so that grace can increase. No longer. So I need to walk with you. For half an hour a week, me and Dawn can tell you as much as we can about these scriptures. But just like Jesus, we need to walk with you and walk with each other. 
Do you know in this past year, year and a half, where I have seen the most spiritual growth in our church family? People walking with each other. It's true. Every example I can think of, of someone who I've encountered this past year, year and a half, who says, Jesus is doing something in my life. I'm growing, I'm developing. I go, who are you doing it with? Well, my friends, they're reading with me and praying with me and we're living this life together. Yep. You know what they don't say? I'm doing it at home all by myself. I just sit there and pray. And wow! Transformation. It's not saying you can't have a deep and rich relationship with God. Just in the quietness of your own heart, you can But iron sharpens iron, and you can't sharpen yourself. There's something that takes place in the process of living life with him and with each other. So I want to issue the challenge. I want to lay down the gauntlet right now, and I'll commit to it if you're willing to commit to it. If we don't want to see transformation just become a New Year's resolution that we all go, yay, And then a couple months from now, we all sit around and go, (laughs) yeah, that didn't happen, did it? If we don't want it to become that, are you willing to disciple someone with me this year? Because if you're not, we're not going to be effective at this. So there's no point pretending like we want to do this. We won't be effective. Are you willing to Disciple someone this year. Go out into all the nations and make disciples of them. What if I told you there's people in this church family, people sitting in this room right now, who need to be mentored and discipled? They need someone who's lived life, who's developed deep and rich faith, and they need someone to live with, to walk with, so that they can see the words that the pastor preaches come to life in their everyday life. And there's people in this church family who have heard many, many sermons. They've read their Bible and they've prayed for years and their faith is deep and it's rich. Look across the room. Find someone that needs to be discipled and pour into them. They're struggling with their kids, go pour into them. They're struggling with their marriage, go pour into them. They're struggling at work, they're struggling to share their faith. They're struggling to simply trust and believe that it's real. Go sit with them, listen to them, pray with them. You know how big of a difference that would make in people's lives? People that don't feel connected in our church, you think that's not going to form some community? People that have attended here for 10 or 20 years but have never really felt the love of Jesus, do you know how to help them feel the love of Jesus? Go spend time with them and go disciple them. You know what's going to lead to people sharing their faith? I bet you one of the things that might is a friend that mentors them and encourages them and might even go share the gospel together with them. There's so many people in our church who would benefit from a spiritual mentor from a close friend who would live life with them. You don't have to be an expert in the scriptures. Come on now. I know that fear Satan says to you right away, you have nothing to offer. What do you have that you can tell them? 
Don't listen to that voice. Don't listen. You know God. You know the difference he's made in your life. Go encourage someone. Go mentor them. Go disciple them. That's how we can truly train one another to live this obedient life. So that's not simply a half an hour lecture that you hear and then we all walk out the doors and nothing happens. I'm telling you because I love you. If you want to get healthy, you commit to all the steps of getting healthy. I'm ready to do it though. I'm ready to do it and I hope you are too. I need to demonstrate it for you and with you. I need to disciple people. I need to read the Bible with people this year. I need to pray with people this year. Not just up here, but on Monday, on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday. I need to pour into people, and I need people to pour into me too. And I think we're going to build the kingdom of God together, not alone. But it's very easy to do this alone in a big room like this. It's very easy. We've done it for decades. But we can end that today. What do you think youth group is all about? Getting them together. They need Jesus and they need each other. This place isn't going to look the same in a year from now. It's not even going to look close to it. And I'm going to give this everything that I have. I'm an all-in kind of person. When you run a marathon, you can't pretend to train. You have to do it. I'm going to disciple people this year. You willing to join me? At least think about it, okay? Let me pray. We're going to sing a closing song about building the kingdom of God. Heavenly Father, it's with humility that I admit I'm quite scared. I've talked about this with you before. How can I make disciples in my church family? And I remember you told me to love you and to love one another. Father, I want to pray for my best friends. I want to pray for my church family. Lord God, would you whisper to them the full extent of your love? Would they see the sacrificial love of your son Jesus? Would it change them? Would you give them a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone? Lord Jesus, we admit we're terrible people. We're broken and we're self-centered and selfish. We desire nothing more than our own worship. And we say, forgive us, Father, for we have sinned. Help us, Father, to worship you with our lives, living sacrifices. Not to sit here and pretend like we want to and then live the rest of the week for ourselves. Father, forgive us, for we have sinned. Help us to love you and pursue you. Help us to love one another in this church family. God, like they're our own family. Like they are welcome to bring their mess into our lives. They're our own family. 
Help us to love each other that way and not just talk about it. Would we demonstrate it day by day? And Holy Spirit, I believe you can do this. Will you please, will you please show us and reveal to us people in this church family that we can disciple. People in this church family we can pray for. People we can read the scriptures with. People who we can send a text message to or give a phone call to. We can commit to walking with them. Father, would you reveal that to us through your spirit? And God, would you bring someone alongside each one of us to develop and disciple us too? We're tired. We're tired of talking about change, not seeing it. God, give us the motivation to see this through. We're ready. We're ready to commit. We want to be all in. We know that transformation is your work. We can't manufacture it. It's what you do. So with boldness, we bow before you today, collectively as one family. We ask that you'd use the full power of the Holy Spirit to transform us into obedient disciples, no matter the cost, whatever it takes. This is the cry of our hearts. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, who died on the cross for us. His name is powerful. Amen. This morning, I want to send us out with some excitement. Thinking of all these tangible things that we've just learned about, we've been given steps to take that we can actually change this church. This next song is my prayer for us, that we would that God would build his kingdom here, that we would be a part of an absolute huge revival and it could start here. To me, that gets me excited, that's inspirational. It's just, I get the giggles and I start wanting to move around in weird ways that make other people feel uncomfortable. But I really, I believe in the words of this song. I believe that this can happen here because I've seen you guys work. I've seen your giftings and I've seen how much you love each other. And if we can bring that together in a real way and start loving each other to the fullest potential that's gonna overflow and explode in such an amazing way that Bridgeway is gonna be put on the map because of Jesus, not because of us. But they'll drive by and think, oh man, Jesus is doing something there. It's just weird. Some people are gonna get weirded out and they're not gonna to wanna to come close because that feeling is just awkward. But let that be awkward in a beautiful way. So I'm going to encourage you to stand. If you can't, that's fine. But this is a very, very, happy and exciting song and I hope that you can share in our excitement this morning as we end this service and send you out to do the work of our Lord. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again Increase in us we pray I beg all while we're made Come set our hearts ablaze with hope like wildfire in our very souls, Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church. We need your power in us. Seek your kingdom first. We hunger and we thirst. Refuse. Waste our lives for 
much oh father let that be our prayer let that be our anthem as we leave this place this morning we thank you for what you've done today i thank you for the awakening in our souls and our spirit oh send us out with your favor lord and let us change this world in the precious name of jesus amen